Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. Are you ready for the Word of God? Amen. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last 18 weeks. That's a really long series for us. Typically, our series are about four to six, maybe eight weeks long on a large large series. But this particular one, I wanted to process through one of the books of the Bible. We're taking the time to go through the book of Romans. And if you haven't yet read through Romans, I want to encourage you to do so. Perhaps you're just kind of joining in with us. You've been here the last couple of weeks, or maybe this morning's your first time. I would encourage you, grab a hold of the Bible. If you don't have one, come see me. I'll get you one. Dive into the book of Romans, but then also go back and re-watch the sermons over the last 18 weeks. As you're reading through Romans, watch the messages and allow it the two to kind of flow together and let God begin to speak into your life. I believe that God wants to use this series, and he has used this series to bring about a breakthrough in hearts and lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. We've simply titled this series, Breakthrough, Live by Faith, Advance with Grace. And in the last 18 weeks, we've discovered so much about ourselves. Anybody learned something about yourself over the last few weeks? All right, a handful of you. Great. Awesome. Well, we've learned that sin has no authority. That's good news, right? Because sometimes we have that situation, we have that thing that we keep falling back into, and we're like, I just can't defeat it. Well, the truth is, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That sin has no authority, that when I give it to God, when I surrender it to God, Romans 7 into 8 says that our answer is found in Jesus, and because of what Jesus has done in our lives, there's now no condemnation to those that believe. That's good news. We've learned that there's great blessings and benefits connected to this relationship with Jesus Christ. We discover that God desires to graft us into his family, even though we were once a, as the Bible calls it, a wild olive shoot. We were once going an opposite direction, a different track than what God has. But by the grace of God, God saw you where you are. The Bible says that while you were yet a sinner, while you were still messing up, God chose to give Jesus to die on the cross for you. Again, great news. Amen? Amen. In week 15, we learned that love, our love for one another, that's the key point of this relationship with God, that God desires us, yes, that we love him. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all that we are, but we've also got to learn to love our neighbor, to love those around us. Even when they do something that's not like him, our responsibility is to love them anyway. And then last week we discovered that we must identify what God has called us to do and pursue that in efforts to be the most effective that we possibly can. Now today, I want to wrap up this study by moving in to the final chapter, chapter 16. 
Let me remind you that over the last few weeks, in fact, in week one, we talked about the fact that the book of Romans has had a life-changing effect on so many lives. It was St. Augustine. Some of you have heard of him before. He became a Christian because of a passage that he read in the book of Romans. He said that in reading this particular scripture, that, that Augustine left his life of sin and pursued a life of righteousness in Christ. It was Martin Luther that started the Protestant Reformation because of the book of Romans. One particular scripture above all brought Luther out of mere religion into the joy of grace through a life of faith. And that was Romans 1 verse 17. The just shall live by faith. And then it's said that as a result of the words of John Wesley, John Wesley heard from Martin Luther's commentary that the great Wesleyan revival swept across England, transforming a nation for God. So as we look at this idea of the book of Romans revolutionizing lives, I've come to realize that you and I have had the opportunity over the last 18 weeks to really allow this life-changing scripture to take root in our hearts today. It's our opportunity to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? God, what does this look like in my life? Lord, is there a breakthrough that needs to take place in my life today so that I can be who you've called me to be. Now our text is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, and it simply says this, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere. Who are the Gentiles? Anyone that's not a Jew, right? Okay, so if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So I would venture to say 99.3% of you with a margin of error of 2.5 of you are Gentiles this morning. Okay, so God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell us, the Gentiles, everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey, bringing glory to his name. Now, I don't know how many of you have been reading along. Some of the chapters in the book of Romans, let me be honest, have been super easy to preach. Some of them are laid out and you're like, man, this is simple, this is easy. But then you get to chapter 16. And chapter 16 is just kind of his, his wrap of, it's kind of the, the final thoughts and, and all these things that he lays out. And I begin to look at this and I say, God, what do you have for us? Because right off the bat, Paul begins to name drop. Anybody ever meet somebody that name drops? I was talking to a guy the other night, and I think about every other sentence contains somebody else's name. And sometimes name dropping is great. Sometimes name dropping gives us an opportunity to build relationships and network with one another and and connect this person with this person and, and bring that situation together. Sometimes name dropping is really just to promote yourself and and highlight yourself and look look at me, look at all the people that I know. So as I began to read chapter 16, I had to ask myself, which reason is Paul name dropping? 
Is Paul attempting to promote himself and say, hey, look at me, look at, hey, I'm Paul. Look at all the people that I know. Everywhere I go, somebody's talking about me. My name precedes me. Everybody knows who Paul is. Is that what he's saying? No, I don't think so. See, I think Paul is using these names to help to build a connection for you and I today. So with that, I want to look at four instructions given for the church. Four instructions that are given for us today. Number one is this. According to the word of God, we are to give honor where honor is due. Do you agree with that? We should give honor where honor is due. Now, I'll be completely honest with you. Sometimes we don't do a great job of this. Sometimes we become so self-absorbed or situationally absorbed, we just get busy with life that we miss the opportunity to give honor to those that deserve it. Right off the bat in this final chapter, Paul takes a moment to recognize not one or two, but 26 people, and he names them by name. He goes on also to mention two unnamed people. Wouldn't you love to be the unnamed people? I mean, he's going across the crowd and he's, he's naming you, he's calling you out, he's saying, hey, this person and that person, we're excited about them, and then, and, and then what's their names over there as well? That's kind of what's happening here. Recognizes 26 people and two unnamed people. He even gives out a, a shout to several churches that were meeting in homes around the area. Why? Well, he's simply giving honor where honor is due. And then in verse 10, he says this, love one another. Love one another. What does it mean to love one another? It means that we take the time to find out more about them. It means that we take the time to, to empathize with them when they hurt. It means that we take the time to, to reach out and, and lend them that hand when they're going through that difficult situation, when things just aren't easy. In fact, last week, if you remember, we realized that we've got to do this even when it's not convenient. That's real love. The Bible says, greater love is no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friend. That's what Jesus did for us. He was willing to give everything for us. And here Paul says, I'm calling you out. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Man, isn't that awesome? He says, outdo one another. There's a competition in front of you. Any of you in the house competitive today? Okay, let me try that again. Anybody competitive? I'll give you five points if you raise your hand if you're competitive. See, that's going to cause the competitive people to raise their hand. They're like, oh, there's nothing in it for me. I'm not raising my hand. Five points? <laughs> By the way, the points get you nothing. But you've got five points this morning. Job well done. We have a competition here, and it's not a bad competition, but it's a competition to do all that we can to show love to one another. Just to those that do you right? No. Just to show love to those that are in the church that are, are treating everybody the way they should be treated? No. See, the Bible says even when people persecute you, even when people do you wrong, 
Even when people mistreat you, we are called to, to love them as Jesus would love them. The New King James Version says it this way, in honor, giving preference to one another. Giving preference. What exactly is he instructing here? Well, the word preference according to the original language, is to go before and show the way, to go before and lead, to go before as a leader. So what I see, we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, we are called to give honor where honor is due, not in a reactive mode, but in a proactive mode to lead the way, to, to make a difference. If you want to see your workplace change, begin to make a change. Students, if you want to see your school change, whether that's junior high or high school or college, begin to be the one that makes the change. Be proactive in this moment. You want your neighborhood to change? Begin to be proactive. Be the one that leads the change. If you want your house to change, come on now. Lead the way. Be proactive in showing love one for another. One that leads the way in taking time to pursue showing honor. Paul says that we should almost have this competition going on. Looking for opportunities. Looking for ways. Promoting one another, encouraging one another. This is a common theme throughout the New Testament over and over and over again. We are called as followers of Christ to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to look for ways to promote our fellow believers. How do we do that? By being proactive in our faith. And right off the bat, Paul gives a shout out to a a woman by the name of Phoebe. He says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church of Centria. And I began to look at this, and, and I realized she's not part of the church in Rome. She's part of the church in Centria. Why would Paul give her a shout out? You would think he would look for people that were in that body. Man, I want to give you a shout out to a gal by the name of Elizabeth. Man, she is knocking it out of the park, doing great things, doing our home visits and our follow-up. We want to thank Elizabeth. We want to give her a shout out this morning. We want to talk about Gary this morning. He's one of our board members. No, 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 no. He says, you know that person in three towns over, four towns over? I want to talk about Phoebe for a moment. Why did he give Phoebe a shout out? Well, she's the one that carried this letter to the church of Rome. That's a reason for a shout out, right? Now, if Phoebe would have gotten distracted, if Phoebe would have stopped at McDonald's for McRib, she would have possibly missed the opportunity to make the connection in the church of Rome. So he says, do whatever needs to be done. Whatever she asks for, make this happen. I mean, she's a deaconess in the church. She's visiting the sick. She's assisting the poor. She's helping the young women in the church. She's brought you this letter. Whatever needs to be done, help Phoebe out. See, one of my goals on the Sunday morning is to 
really see how many people, I'm kind of like ratting myself out here, to find out how many of our team members, our serve team members, I can find and say, hey, thanks for what you do. Thanks for opening the door this morning. Thanks for hitting next on the computer so our slides go. Hey, thanks for running the sound. Thanks for changing diapers in the, in the nursery. I don't always see the people upstairs, but people down here, I try one by one, try to find them. Why? Because I want to give honor where honor is due. We've got so many team members that give of their time every single Sunday. They come in by clockwork, making sure that everything is taken care of. And I appreciate them. I appreciate their heart. I appreciate their willingness to be a part of something so much larger than themselves. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to not miss the opportunity to give honor to those around you. Not to miss the opportunity to give honor to those that deserve it. Not just here in the body of Christ, but what about outside these walls? What about at your workplace? When's the last time that that you walked up to somebody and just said, thanks? Maybe you have an office job and, and there's a person that comes by and they, they empty your trash all the time. Why not give them an opportunity? Why not just say thanks to them? I remember years ago, I was a music teacher in a junior high and high school. And I was told that there were two groups of people that you always wanted to recognize. Your custodial staff and your cafeteria ladies. You keep them on your side, life's great. Can I just tell you? Man, I, I, I would try to find them. I would help them out as much as I could. And, and would you believe it? I'd be in my office working. Since I was a music teacher, I had a little office there. And the custodial staff would come in and they would wipe down my computer screen while I'm working on it. The cafeteria ladies, they would call me in my office and they'd say, hey, we have one package of chocolate donuts left. Do you want us to hold them for you? The only time that I felt like I was slipping up is I went in for lunch one day and one of the cafeteria ladies greeted me and then she said, Mr. Gray, are you gaining weight? I wanted to say, are you getting old? But I didn't. I didn't. I thanked her for what she did and I went on. You see, we've got to do everything we can to give glory and give honor to those that deserve it. If they're doing the job, Give them the thanks for that. So I want to challenge you, don't miss that opportunity. Look for that coworker that maybe it's a police officer, law enforcement, your military personnel. Man, you see them around, your firemen, your first responders. Take the time to tell them thank you. Maybe it's that server that, that helps you at the restaurant. They've had a, a bad day and you can tell it's been a rough day. Just begin to thank them. I was at Taco Bell a couple of weeks ago and they were having a rough day. I mean, people were yelling across the counter at them. And I just said, hey, thanks. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for making my taco. And you know what she said? Thanks for being nice to me. I didn't do anything special. I just told her thank you. But the rest of her day had just been this cycle of chaos. Why not be the light of hope for Jesus Christ. Why not share his love? 
Why not outdo one another in showing honor to those that deserve it? And then our second instruction is this. Give distance where division is present. There seems to be this huge shift in the conversation. It's almost like that Paul is writing here and, and he's having all this information taken down and he's thanking this person and that person and giving a shout out here and a shout out there. And, and then he says, oh, oh, well, by the way, there's a group of people that you need to avoid. I mean, just like total flip-flop of conversation. Look at verse 17. He says, and now I make one more appeal. My dear brothers and sisters, watch out. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. In verse 17, Paul uses the word, I appeal to you. I have one more appeal. This is that word of urgency that we talked about a few weeks ago. The King James uses the word, I beseech you. Others say, I urge you, I beg you, I implore you. In other words, take serious note of what I'm about to tell you. You don't want to miss this. And then Paul goes on to say, watch out for the troublemakers. Stay away from them. Don't entertain their foolishness. Why? Because they're not serving the Lord. Now, here Paul is addressing those that are sharing false doctrine. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But I believe that we can also include those that cause division in the body of Christ. Because the Bible repeatedly says these, this is one of the things that the Lord detests. In fact, he can't even stomach those that stir dissension in the church. And that was, that's what was happening with those that were sharing false doctrine in Paul's day. So how do you know if what somebody is sharing with you is truly the Word of God or if it's false doctrine? You get to know the Bible. I'm told that those that identify counterfeit bills, they don't study the counterfeits. They study the real thing. So why not dive into the Word of God? We try to be very transparent here. I give you every scripture, unless it's a scripture that God gives me in the moment, but every scripture that's in my notes is on the outline. I encourage you, take that outline. Test it. Go back. Read through it. Make sure it all lines up. Why? Because I want to make sure that what we are teaching lines up with the very word of God. So how do you know? How do you know if it's truth or not? Simple answer. Does it line up with God's word? Not, can I find one scripture in the Bible and potentially twist it to make it fit what I wanted to say? Come on, we could do that. All day long, we could pick a scripture out and make it mean absolutely anything by twisting it and distorting it, but that's abusing the Word of God. Come on now. We've got to make sure it lines up truly with what God has to say. So how do you know this? You study the Bible 
You become part of a life group. You, you rub shoulders together. You sharpen one another. You attend church on a regular basis. You spend time in prayer. You seek the face of God and say, Lord, I need to know you more. You let the Bible take root deep down inside of your life. In fact, the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verse 11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He says, I feel myself so full of the word of God that there's not room for anything else. And I wonder, what are you filling your life with? What are you consuming in your life? Chaos? Stress? Strife? Busyness? Are you allowing the word of God to penetrate deep down inside? Chapter 119, 105 says this, your word, God's word, the Bible, is a lamp that gives lights wherever I walk. In other words, as I digest the word of God, as I allow it to be a part of who I am, it illuminates the path in front of me, it steers and directs my life. Why? Because now I can see what God has in store for my life. So I wonder, have you allowed the word of God to illuminate your path. If not, then you're walking down a treacherous path that is leading towards heartache and strife. You see, false truth can sound really convincing. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that you know without a doubt that they're wrong, but they sound so convincing? I remember several years ago, my mom and I were Christmas shopping. And there was a game on the shelf called Malarkey. And the point of this game, now I feel weird telling you this story, the point of this game is to lie to people and convince them that the answer that you're giving is the truth. And the question, the example on the box is, why do you never see a baby pigeon? Well, right off the top, I looked at my mom and I said, well, that's an easy answer. You never see a baby pigeon because when they're born, they're virtually life-size. In fact, a pigeon egg is really huge and that baby comes out and you can't distinguish between a baby pigeon and an adult pigeon because the size that they are. And my mom goes, are you serious? I said, no, but I'm buying the game. <laughs> you see, sometimes false truth can sound so convincing. Paul says, they're smooth talkers. They've got glowing words. But I want to challenge you. Today, more than ever before, in this culture that we're in right now, more than ever before, there's a lot of glowing words out there. They're streaming all over social media. They're all over Facebook, all over TikTok, over all these social media sources, and they're glowing, they're looking good, they're sounding good, they've got motivational people sharing it, and you're like, oh yeah, that's right, but no, it's not. It's just glowy words. I wonder, have you digested the Word of God to the point that you can identify the difference between the truth and a counterfeit. Allowing the Word of God to be a regular part of your life, a part that you live out on a daily basis. See, then and only then 
will you be able to identify, to distinguish between the truth and the false glowy words? Paul says, give distance to those that cause division. Stay away from them. Stay clear. The third instruction that we see is this. Give greeting to one another. Give greeting to one another. Again, Paul makes this humongous shift. He goes in point one of really recognizing and honoring and, and giving, giving praise to those that deserve it to avoid this group. And now he comes back in this moment to begin to greet one another and give a shout out to more people. It's almost as if Paul says, okay, I've said my piece. Let me move on. Then he gives a quick blessing by saying, may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And this is immediately followed by a list of fellow believers that just want to say hi. So what does that say to us? Well, for me, it reinforces the fact that we are built for community. We are built for relationship with one another. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation with Adam and Eve, we see the need of relationship with one another. You see, God looked at Adam in the garden in creation. He saw Adam by himself, surrounded by all these animals and the beauty of nature, and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. Look what it says in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Oh, I hear you. Well, pastor, he, he's talking here about a, a helpmate, a wife, a relationship. Well, true, but isn't that the beginning of community? Isn't that the onset of community? We need one another. Truth be told, you need me. And I need you. You need the person across the room. You need that person sitting right beside you. There are some of you in the house today that you're extreme introverts and you're thinking to yourself, I don't need anybody at all. I just need me. Wrong. We all need one another. We were built for community together. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 says it this way. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. Come on, if we don't need one another, then why do we need to motivate one another? If it's good enough that I do life by myself, then why do I need to think of ways to help the person around me? Well, the Bible says we need one another, so think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Do not neglect community. We need this time. Make church attendance a priority. Make life group attendance a priority. If you're not part of a life group, you need to get plugged in. You need to be a part. 
youth, you need to be in youth service. Young adults, we've got young adult things for you. Ladies, Tuesday night is a create night. Well, there's not really a Bible study, but it's community. Iron sharpens iron as one man, one woman sharpens another. How do we sharpen another? We get to know one another. We form this relationship of trust. And now I'm going to be vulnerable to you. Why? Because I trust you. And we look for ways. We pursue ways to encourage and promote and help one another. See, Paul tells us that there's four instructions. Give honor where honor is due. Give distance where division is presence. Give greeting to one another. And finally, give glory to God. Verse 25 and 27, he says this. Now all glory, say all glory. Come on, look at this. Not partial glory. Not leftover glory. All glory. All glory to God who is able to make you strong. Just as my good, just as my good news says, all glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. See, as we begin to apply these first three instructions, I believe that what's happening here is we are we are laying out this groundwork. We're setting up the fulfillments of the fourth. If we will give honor where honor is due, if we will avoid the chaotic moments and chaotic people and divisive situations, if we will build the community that he's called us to build and, and network with one another and sharpen one another and look for opportunities to encourage one another, we are setting ourselves up to come to that place of giving all glory and all honor to God. But it's going to take effort. Throughout this great book, Paul has taken the time to give us a clear picture of a breakthrough in life. He shares with us that this breakthrough is available through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and He's the only source. And now He finalizes it all by saying, So give all glory and honor to God by pressing through the difficulty, by building up our fellow Christian, by embracing the benefits and blessings, by truly implementing the Word of God. We are paving the way to giving glory to God. So I want to challenge you as we wrap up this series this morning. I want to encourage you. Step through. Begin to give God the glory on the other side of the breakthrough. Don't end this series in need of a breakthrough. But pursue it. Breakthrough and give God the praise. Amen? Let's pray.